The Insurance Coffee House is hosted by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies, brokers, and insurtechs in the UK and across the United States, attracting and retaining the most successful leaders to your insurance business. To find out more, visit insurance-search.com. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and be inspired by the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by John Couture, who is the Chief Human Resources Officer and EVP of the Principal Global Services Division at Principal Financial Group. Principal Financial are a global insurance and financial services company, and it's a pleasure to have John joining us from Des Moines, Iowa this morning. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, Nick. It's great to see you. Glad to be here. John, it's a pleasure to have you. Really looking forward to hearing more about the great things that you're doing there at Principal. Before we get into any of that, though, we are in the insurance coffee house today. What's your go-to coffee of choice over there? Go-to coffee of choice has to be the Starbucks dark blend French roast. All good brands also available as well. Glad to hear you're a Starbucks man. John, if we could start off, would you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit more about your personal career background and what's led you into the position that you now have there, Chief Human Resources Officer? Right out of high school, I went into the Air Force. I spent eight years in the U.S. Air Force. The first half of that was as a line firefighter. I spent that time in a combination of Germany and Turkey, then came back stateside and spent the second half of my time in the military at the Department of Defense Fire School. So began teaching people how to be firefighters. Ultimately, after about eight years, I determined that it was best for me to get out of the military, take the experience that I had mostly on the learning and development side and convert that into a role in an organization called Performance Assurance, which was part of Department of Defense contractor back at the uh, Nevada test site. So I spent a few years in uh, government contracting on the DOD and the Department of Energy side, mostly in performance improvement and in organizational development. And then uh, spent a bit of time at a post-IPO software company that was focused on industrial automation. Joined the Siemens organization. That was actually my first head of HR job. It was a subsidiary of Siemens that focused on uh, business process outsourcing. And then after that, got converted or recruited (laughs) into the financial services space. Became the CHRO for a top 10 bank. From there, went to HSBC and Wells Fargo, and then have been here at Principal since 2018 in this role. It often is a conversion. I think once people (laughs) see the light there, John, Yeah, they don't leave this great industry of ours. And actually, up until that point, we find a lot of our guests and obviously a lot of the executives that we work with, the insurance and financial services wasn't a career option they'd even considered. But once they find themselves in the industry, it's hard to turn back from. That's fantastic. John, your current position there now, you mentioned it there, leading human resources across the whole group. Would you mind sharing with our listeners a bit more about what that entails and what that responsibility covers? So at principle, we have about 20,000 employees, 40% of which or so are outside of the US. So a very global company. I really have two hats. The first one is for a global HR organization. The second one, as you mentioned in the intro, Nick, is for an entity we call Principal Global Services, which 
is our teams of employees that support our businesses in India, a couple locations in India and in Manila. And uh, we provide services to other parts of the business across every one of our business lines, as well as many of our functions. Thank you for that, John. In terms of the business principal financial group, could you give us an understanding of where the business is at the current day, maybe those markets that you're operating and some of those business lines? So our three big businesses are retirement, benefits and protection, and asset management. We operate a large retirement and benefits and protection business in the U.S. Our asset management business is global. We have a pretty significant presence in emerging markets in Latin America, Asia, decent-sized employee population serving the European market. We love the businesses that we're in. We love the places we do business. As far as what our business is about and, and how we're serving our customers, we're really focused on just that. So really understanding who our customers are, serving their needs. We tend to have a sweet spot in the SMB market space. And then outside of the US, I would say our sweet spot is about the joint ventures that we have in different parts of the world. It's a bit of a specialty of ours. Our strategy is really about figuring out how we can deliver more value across all those businesses to any particular customer segment that we're targeting. So far, you know, we've done a lot of great strategy work over the last few years, and uh, we're already starting to see the results of that strategy come to life. And presumably in your role there, there must have been an awful lot of organic growth, a lot of organic expansion into different territories, presumably a lot of acquisitions as well along the way. How do you find a team that supports you there? How do you find managing those integrations, but also looking at those territories, hiring and recruiting in those different locations? Our M&A activity ebbs and flows like it does for most companies. We just, uh, in the last couple of years, finished a big integration of Wells Fargo's retirement business. So that took a tremendous amount of energy. I think specifically uh, an answer to your question, Nick, is we have a, a dedicated team of people in the HR organization that partner with our capital markets team and our business partners when we have an integration. So we have a, if you will, an M&A playbook from a people perspective. And then we marry that with a process that we call human capital planning. It's all about understanding where the business is going and then breaking down our services across that employee life cycle from hiring the right people, integrating them, enabling them to perform, and then supporting their development. So far, that approach has served us well. You know, when we when we look at integration metrics around on the people side, turnover, engagement levels, we, we tend to perform pretty well in those areas. That's really a bit of how we go to market in that space. And I know that leads very nicely on to the subject that you want to discuss today around personalizing that employee experience. Mm -hmm. For our listeners who might not be aware of what that is, what that entails, would you mind explaining to us what that means to you and what that means to principal? Sure. So I would start with the customer. And you know, you think about where businesses have been over the last few years and how most businesses that are forward thinking have shifted their strategies to have a very customer-centric approach, which means instead of a company thinking about its product services and then how to sell those products and services to customers, you start with the customer needs and then wrap your services and products around those customer needs. So the idea that we have, and we think it's kind of a big idea that's part of our people strategy, is same approach for employees, right? So you take an employee, you disaggregate that employee life cycle, and you think ultimately about how you could wrap the experience that an employee has within our company in this case on an individual level. So that could be things like where people work. It could be 
the work that people do. Instead of having broad job categories that everybody has to fit into, you kind of tailor a person's job around their specific skills and capabilities. How much people work, that certainly has implications around how people are paid. You think about an idea that's been around a long time, the cafeteria benefits plan. You know, that's an early example of personalization that never really got a lot of traction, but it's it's taking that notion and just blowing it up as far as applying it to every aspect of the employee life cycle. And we think, especially coming out of the pandemic and the, the lessons that we've learned around human capital in business after the pandemic, we think companies that figure out how to personalize the employee experience on a mass basis are going to be the winners. And, and we certainly intend to be one of those winners. Clearly for smaller businesses, you know, it's often said it's the perk of working at a smaller company is that you tend to get that more engaged and personalized employee experience. How do you go about doing that on a larger scale? You've got 20,000 employees there across the business. You're working in lots of locations around the world. What are some of the measures? What are some of the initiatives that you're implementing there to try and achieve this goal? First of all, to be really clear for all of your listeners, we have not figured this out. This is a strategic North Star for us. It is the basis, kind of the filter through which we think about our future future services and products. But with that being said, you know, we've already started to implement aspects of it from our employee flexibility policy, our global flexibility policy, which instead of coming up with a bunch of rules that we publish and force people into, at principle, we came up with a principle that said, hey, if you're an employee, we want you to meet with your manager. If you're a manager, we want you to meet with your employees. We want you to have an individualized conversation We want to enable as much flexibility as possible. Ultimately, the manager's call carries the day. We want that experience personalized. And then we want to take the burden on as a manager to figure out how I make that work. So it's a little bit of a mindset shift around how we think about that employee-employer experience. Another example that we're experimenting with are people that are retiring. And so we're having conversations with more and more of our retirees and we're saying, hey, instead of retirement being binary, what if we could enter into an agreement with you where you might think about the favorite parts of your job, the things that you're most skilled in, but doing those things maybe a couple days a week, saying if we could wrap that post-retiree employment experience, again, on an individual basis, we get all the benefits of keeping that institutional knowledge in the organization. It keeps the retiree engaged in the workforce, but fully enables the retiree to enjoy the kind of life that they want to have while having a bit of supplemental income. So those are two examples of what personalization looks like, but there are lots of bigger challenges, right? So you think about the benefits platform that is personalized on an individual basis, the compensation systems, the big human capital management platforms and how they manage that individualized experience. Long way to go in that area. But we think, you know, great ideas start off with a compelling vision. We, we think this is a compelling vision about where things are going. And uh, we're excited to keep chipping away at progress in this space. Thank you for that, John. Some business leaders, they certainly err on the other side of almost conformity, especially around HR and people issues, it's seen as everything has to be equal, everything has to be the same for employees, equal opportunities. How do you see that balance with individualizing the 
employee experience do you think you can almost provide more equality because it is tailored to the individual's needs or are there some also challenges around that? the question is fraught with challenges right so there are labor laws that we have to comply with the labor laws are designed for consistency the consistent treatment of an individual those are great call outs and examples of areas where there will be challenges but to the last point you made nick and i think it's a really good one is in some ways, if you could have the systems to figure out how to tailor a job experience to an individual's preferences and capabilities, might that be the ultimate level of equality? Mm. Don't know. It's something to explore, but it's a great call out. It's clearly something that you're challenging yourself with as a business and that you're open to exploring these opportunities rather than you know shutting them down at the first hurdle, which I think is really interesting. Obviously, as well, traditionally within insurance, you know, there's been a challenge with diversity certainly succession and bringing forward more diverse talent through the industry. Do you think by you know breaking down some of those job titles or some of those job roles into more leaner and more tailored personalized roles as opposed to those wider job bucket we talked about earlier do you think that can help as well with maybe some of those sort of unconscious bias which are in as part of traditional job roles we think so if you peel back what it would mean to have a completely personalized employee experience in order to make that successful you would have to have a very inclusive mindset you would have to have a very customer-oriented mindset in terms of tailoring that experience to the individual employee. Mm -hmm. We believe that the combination of that mindset as well as that foundation of inclusion would make for a very attractive employment proposition in the talent markets, which Mm -hmm. we're betting that the more we do this kind of thing, the more attractive we'll become as an employer, the more diverse employees will want to be part of what we have. But that's a combination of the systems and the culture that we have. We're, We're blessed at principle. I think we have an innately inclusive culture perhaps because we're as global as we are. And part of our DNA is appreciating different cultures and valuing different cultures and differences that we have across our employee population. But we think ultimately, if we do this well, it'll be a net positive as far as attracting diverse talent to the team. There's so many benefits there. And it's going to be a really interesting journey to see how that develops there for you. Yeah, it's really, really inspiring. You know, if businesses like yours can have this as their goal, then, you know, why can't the smaller companies as well? You know, it's a lot easier to do on a more micro level. John, I know you've got your Starbucks there. You've reached the time of the show, the espresso round with the questions Uh are short, sharp to the point. Are you ready for the espresso round now, John? I'm ready to do it. The espresso round. What one recommendation would you have for senior executives coming in to interview for you? Do your homework. So nothing says more to us than a person in an interview process and a person coming in who's clearly done their homework. They understand the business. They've watched our investor relations. They've watched our investor days. They understand as much as they can who we are. And John, what would you say the benefits of someone who does their homework? Obviously, it's great to see someone who's invested in in the interview process, seeing that they've made that effort to really find out about you, about the business. Is there also benefits there of that person then can identify exactly the value that they can bring to the organization? Well, yeah, it's that. And it's, it's basically creating relativity in a conversation. So if I have the best knowledge I can of where you are and what you're thinking about, I can map that to my skills and experience to the point that you made. But then we also maybe have some connections and I can do that on the front end, which as a candidate only helps my prospects as I meet with more folks in a particular team. And switching things around, one piece of advice that you'd have for 
other HR executives looking to recruit the very best talent around? I could look at that a couple of ways, but as a general hiring idea, I have found if you actively look to hire people who are smarter than you and you bring those people on board and they have the mix of IQ and EQ, that's a very, very strong talent winning strategy. I think companies get messed up on this all the time. If you find those people, pay them what they're worth and what they're worth is what the market will yield for their capabilities. I see examples all the time where HR leaders find a great person, but the company is unwilling to pay them what they command in the market. And so the only two choices there are hire someone else at the pay grade that you want. That's one choice. The other choice is pay it. But there is no magic that says you're going to find someone with all the capabilities that you want for what you're willing to pay. Absolutely. (laughs) All of our HR executives, all of the clients that we worked with appreciated that point. That would certainly make our lives a lot better. We engage with search partners. We have a very realistic market-driven approach. And, you know, survey data is interesting. What a person actually commands in the marketplace is the market. Is that something you value when you work with an executive search provider? That consultative element, you know, people telling you sometimes maybe not what you want to hear, what you need to hear, what the market's saying in order to get that very best talent. We have a search on right now for the head of our principal global services entity. We're working with a partner in India on that search. We're going to have to pay materially more than we thought we would have to pay to get the capabilities that we need. No, I'm personally fortunate to work for a CEO who gets the market and says, you know, this business creates a huge amount of value for principal to shortchange the leadership for that critical position in the grand scheme of our business would be really short-sighted. And so we're going to pay what the market's going to yield for the talent. Absolutely. It's all about eventual and total outcome as opposed to, yeah, just looking purely at the salary and the benefits. Exactly. For that position, for sure. In terms of like technology at all, are there any tech tools that you're using there as a business which are really helping you to attract and hire good quality people to the company? We use the iSEMS platform as our applicant tracking system. We use a, a tool called Modern Hire, which is a technology we use to do video interviews, you know, pre-recorded yeah. video interviews. We have a pretty significant partnership with LinkedIn. We use LinkedIn Recruiter for sourcing and you're yeah. taking advantage of the uh, candidate relationship management technologies in the iSIMS platform. It's a so-called best of breed solution, but as you know, you know, you look across all of HR, there are a lot of best of breed solutions that don't patch together very well <laughs> and ultimately don't create a best of breed experience for employees, hiring managers, and candidates. But we're working on that. I think that's a podcast on its own, selecting and sourcing those technology tools to help with that, because that is a process that is riddled with challenges, for sure. John, you must have sat in hundreds of interviews across your career. Mm -hmm. What would you say is either the best moment, the funniest moment, or maybe the worst moment that you've ever seen in an interview? What I think about is when I interview people, I typically will start off, my, my first question, once you get past the niceties, is, hey, in 10 minutes, tell me how it is you grew up and got to where you are today? Pretty simple question. Most people will you know, immediately go to the, here's my job history. And, and what I'm really looking for is who are you as a person? How did you grow up? What motivated you to go to college or not go to college? I just want to get to know the person. But the funniest thing is when people just unleash on that question and they end up answering it in like 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And I don't stop a person. Part of the discussion is, you know, I said in 10 minutes, you know, can you self-regulate? Are you aware? John, final question of the espresso round. What's the one lesson your job has taught you over the years that you think 
everybody should learn at some point in their life? I mean, the one that comes to mind that's the most valuable is there are three sides to every story. Think about the employee relations function in HR as a good example of where that plays out. You know, you have an employee, they bring a complaint forth, could be substantiated, might not be substantiated, but you can only get to some form of the truth when you get all three sides of a particular story. I use that lesson on a day-to-day basis. You You hear something, it may or may not be true, you try to triangulate it, but before you can conclude on, you know, or come to a conclusion, valuing the fact that every single story has a few sides. I think that bears out actually in the hiring process as well. And I think asking candidates about how they performed, asking them about how their boss or their reports would say they performed. And then obviously, you know, taking those references as well and building up the full picture. And it's amazing how much more honesty there is from those discussions when the two sides and the eventual truth comes to bear. John, we've almost reached the end of our time today. Time has definitely flown by. What piece of closing advice would you have for our listeners and if there are and i'm sure there are plenty of people listening now who would be considering applying for a role at principal what would be the sort of the one key driver or the one key thing that you think would be the reason why someone should come and join your organization in a word nick it's culture i spend a huge portion of my time understanding where our culture is today and and partnering with our businesses on how we evolve it into a place that enables us to do what we do for customers, but also be attractive as an employer of choice for the talent market. So culture is one of the biggest differentiators. And I know lots of companies say that their culture is differentiator. We will be in that line. But in my experience, and I've worked for a few different companies, very real here. And when when we interview people, our search partners that we deal with or work with, they tell us, so the external market tells us that that point of differentiation is real for principal. And it's an honor to be part of an organization that has that as its differentiator. And along with what we've been discussing today about that target, that journey towards personalizing that employee experience, you know, as much as possible, really challenging those status quos, I think, you know, really that fits in very well with, you know, attracting the very best people to your organization. That's the bet we're making. Look, John, thank you so much for joining us in the Insurance Coffee House today. It's been a pleasure to have you join us. I know it's a conversation we've been looking at for a little while now, so it's been great to work with you on this. Yeah, look forward to hearing how that initiative goes. Hopefully we can catch up in the future to see the fruit of that. I would welcome that, Nick. I appreciate your time and hope your listeners find the dialogue that we've had over the last half hour so valuable. Appreciate it. I'm sure they will. Thank you, John. Thank you for listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time for another episode packed with insights and advice for senior leaders, C-suite executives, and ambitious insurance professionals. Stream all episodes at insurance-search.com.